The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Kate Dunn during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Reverend Dunn. Please pray with me. Holy God, word made flesh, let us come to this word open to being surprised. Silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, cast out our casual detachment, and penetrate the corners of our hearts so that we may experience your living word in spirit and in truth. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. We call these ancient tales of scripture a living word because they invite us into the story they tell even when the story is more than a little bit out there, like our story today. So come into the story of the day that everything changed for Peter, the day he got his first glimpse of what God was going to call him to do with the rest of his life, the day after which nothing would ever be the same. You are Peter. In the past six days, you have declared to your friend Jesus that you believe he is the Messiah. You have basked in his words of praise. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You have protested when Jesus starts talking about suffering and death, which is not at all the game plan as you understand it, and you tell him so in no uncertain terms, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. You have cringed 
and shock and horror when Jesus turns on you and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You have listened in dismay. When Jesus says, If any want to become my followers, let them pick up their cross and follow me. For six days, you have been buffeted by highs and lows, words of praise and words of condemnation, moments of powerful insight, followed by moments of utter confusion, and the crowds, always the crowds, pushing and pressing, demanding, teaching and healing and attention from Jesus. You're not even Jesus, but you are exhausted. What a relief it is for you when, on the seventh day, Jesus invites you and James and John, the three people who have been with him from the very beginning of his ministry, to go climb a mountain and get away from it all. Now, this time apart doesn't necessarily mean a day of rest, because you are, after all, climbing a mountain, and that takes some exertion. You're using muscles you don't use every day, and you're getting sweaty and out of breath. And you have to pay attention with every step you take, because if you're not careful, you may be in for a nasty fall. But despite all the physical effort of the climb, you feel energy flowing through you. You see things you are not used to seeing, woodland, vegetation, and foliage that only grows on the mountain, oak trees yellow crocuses, lilies, rainbell flowers, irises, barley, larkspur. You might spot a fox or a field mouse or a lizard or hear some woodpeckers or warblers or great spotted cuckoos, and you are just overcome by what a glorious day it is to be outside, to smell that fresh mountain air and breathe in the wonders of the natural world. When you finally make it to the top after who knows how many hours of climbing, the wind whips through your clothes and hair, drying your sweat while you take deep, full breaths. And the view, that view of the world below, you can see so much in every direction, and it is breathtaking. You stand there, hands on your hips, looking down at the world below you, which looks quite lovely from this distance. And you enjoy a sense of profound satisfaction because you have climbed the mountain and made it to the top. You smile at James and John who are standing there catching their breath too. And then you look around for Jesus and, whoa, what happened to Jesus? His face is shining like the sun, so bright you can't even look directly at him. You have to put your hand over your eyes and look down from his face to his clothes. And what happened to his clothes? A few minutes ago, they were dirty and sweaty, just like yours, but now they're dazzling white, white as snow. And all of a sudden, it's not just the four of you anymore, because Jesus isn't standing by himself. Now, that person right next to him is Moses. You don't know how you know. You just know. This is Moses, the ancient prophet who met God on a mountain and brought back the Ten Commandments to his people with his own face shining like the sun. And the person on the other side of Jesus, 
is Elijah. You don't know how you know, but it, as in a dream, you just know this is Elijah, the prophet who fled for his life to a mountain, desperate to hear a word from God, and who listened for God's voice in a great wind and an earthquake and a fire and heard nothing until God finally spoke to him through the sound of sheer silence. Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah, the prophet, the two most prominent figures in the history of your faith are standing on either side of Jesus. You don't understand what's happening, but you know that this is big, really big. If you had your camera, you'd take a picture because people are not going to believe this when you tell them. But you don't have a camera. So you think of another way to capture this incredible moment. This is good, you tell Jesus, and here's what I'm going to do if you think it's a good idea. I'm going to make dwelling places for the three of you, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. The words are still tumbling out of your mouth when all of a sudden a bright cloud casts a shadow over everything, and then a voice speaks from the cloud. And you know this is God, because God is always the one who speaks from a cloud. And God says, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. At this point, your legs won't hold you up any longer. You fall to your knees, and your forehead hits the ground, and you put your hands over your head and squeeze your eyes closed, and James and John are on their knees, quaking beside you. This whole thing was awesome, up to a point, but now it's too much to bear, and you are terrified. All you can do is press your face into the hard earth, and shake. You knew your friend Jesus was special. You knew you were following him for a reason. You even knew he was the Messiah. You said so. But this, whatever this is, is altogether too much. Too much light, too much power, too much glory, too much change, too much history, too much God, too much, too much, too much. You just want it to stop. Just stop. It stops. You don't know how you know, you just know it's over. And Jesus is kneeling beside you. Not transfigured, shining, dazzling Jesus, just your friend, Jesus, in his sweaty, dirty clothes, laying his hand on your shoulder. It's over. You take a deep breath and lift your head and look around. No Moses, no Elijah, no blinding light, no bright cloud, just Jesus, thank God. And he says, get up. Don't be afraid. Somehow you manage to get up, but you don't know how not to be afraid, except it's just Jesus. You brush off your knees, and James and John stand up too, and all of you kind of look at each other and think, that was a thing. And then you're walking back down the mountain, 
and starting to consider how you're going to tell people about what you saw without having everyone think you're just crazy. But Jesus says, listen, don't tell anyone about this vision. Not until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You sigh in relief. You're off the hook. Jesus doesn't want you to say anything about this. You don't know what he's going on about with the Son of Man being raised from the dead talk, but you do know you don't have to say anything right now. And that is fine with you because, honestly, you don't understand what just happened. You're not sure you ever will. But you do understand that nothing will ever be the same after this day. You do understand that what you saw and what you heard will change the direction of your life. Eventually, of course, you do tell the story. You just had to wait to tell about your special moment seeing Jesus standing between Moses and Elijah until many people experienced the much more mundane moment of seeing Jesus hanging between two criminals. You had to wait until you realized that your friend Jesus was not only someone who could shine like the sun and stand with the greatest prophets, but also someone who would bleed from open wounds and be tortured to death on a cross. 2,000 years later, we are still telling the story about the day Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured before them and God's voice spoke from a cloud saying, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. We might think we'd like to have a similar experience that would clarify the path we're supposed to take for the rest of our lives, but none of us want to be as terrified as Peter was that day. And yet... We're here today because we want to open ourselves to what we might see and what we might hear and what we might feel called to do if we listen to God. Call can be hard to discern. It's a noisy world out there. I don't know how familiar you may be talking about your sense of call. Pastors tend to get comfortable with this language because throughout our discernment process, we're often asked to talk about our call, about how we knew that this was the direction our lives should take. But God doesn't just call pastors. God calls each and every one of us to do the work that God has created us to do. Pastor and writer Frederick Buechner describes call this way. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Easy, right? Except no, it's not easy to see the world's deep hunger. Sometimes when there is too much of something, it's hard to see anything at all. We may have the same response to the world's deep hunger as Peter had to Jesus' transfiguration. Too much 
We can't even look. The anguish of children separated from parents at our border. The desperation that drives people to flee from their homeland. The suffering of prisoners in solitary confinement right now. The distress of people who live on the streets. The myriad threats of a planet getting warmer and warmer. The lives decimated by addiction or hunger or suicide or illness or war. Too much, too much, too much. We might think it's easier then to start with considering our great gladness. But it turns out that's not so easy either. Sometimes we really don't know how to discern where our great gladness lies. How are we supposed to figure that out? Have you ever talked to someone about something and seen their face light up? Has anyone ever said to you, you know, when you play your instrument, when you do your volunteer work, when you talk about this part of your job, or this hobby, or this place, or these people, your face lights up. Has anyone ever said that to you? Pay attention. Pay attention when you hear that. You may find the place where your deep gladness lies. We cannot see our own faces, but we are made in God's image. And the divine spark lives within us. And that means we have our moments of being transfigured, too. Moments when we shine and light pours out of us. If someone tells you that your face is shining, pay attention. Another thing to pay attention to is the wall. When you look back on your life, can you think of times when you thought you had a sensible plan for your future and the way forward seemed perfectly clear until you came up against a wall? So you tried to move forward from a different angle and you came up against another wall. And every time you tried to move forward, you came to another wall. God is used to not being listened to. God is also a master of redirection. Have you ever had the experience of coming up against wall after wall and then just giving up in exasperation and trying something completely different and finding the doors just open to a straight, well-lit path and everything falls into place? And you realize this is what I was supposed to be doing all along. And it was so easy. Those moments when everything falls into place don't happen nearly as often as we'd like, but sometimes they do happen. I don't think we should ever expect discerning our call to be easy, but we shouldn't expect it to be too hard either. If you find yourself bumping against wall after wall after wall, pay attention. God may be redirecting you to a different path. 
Discerning your call is not a one-and-done kind of thing. It is a lifelong process. Because your call is much less about doing a certain thing at a certain time than about living a certain way and walking a certain path, a path that God calls you, you in particular, to walk. Discerning your call is about learning to listen to God, even when the big picture is not all that clear. The big picture certainly was not clear to Peter, James, and John the day they saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain, the day Jesus told them to tell no one of the vision until after the Son of Man had been raised from the dead. But when the time came, they recognized their call to tell a story that people were going to have a very hard time believing really happened. But they had to tell it. They were the only ones who could. And I bet their faces were shining when they did. Like the disciples, like all followers of Jesus, like everyone created in the image of God, you have a call. This call comes from a God who loves you and who loves the world, a God who is both your creator and your friend, a God who speaks and longs for you to listen, a God who is patient and also unrelenting, a God who calls and calls and calls. And now here are these words of benediction. Life is short, and we do not have much time to gladden the hearts of those with whom we make this earthly pilgrimage. So be swift to love and make haste to do kindness. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father who creates the Son who redeems, and the Holy Spirit who stirs the heart and soul be with you today and remain with you always. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646 646- Four nine one eight three three one. Thank you and God bless.